Welcome to The Gut Check, nutrition and gut health for active people, a podcast where we are talking functional nutrition for functional fitness and a functional you. Remember, if your gut is not functioning optimally, you are not functioning optimally. I am your host, registered dietitian and nutritionist and OCR fan, Kate Klein. You can connect with me on Facebook at The Dublin Dietitian or go to my website for additional resources, services, and the video recorded versions of these episodes at www.dublindietitian.com. That's D-U-B-L-I-N-D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. As a standard disclaimer, the information provided here is for educational purposes only. While I strive to provide accurate and helpful information to my listeners and viewers, I cannot take into account individualized circumstances. This is not a substitute for personalized nutrition, health, and medical advice from a health professional. If you are ready to get your personalized plan, you can go to DublinDietitian.com and schedule a complimentary strategy session to get a game plan in place for you to hit your health and fitness goals. So let's get to it. Okay, we are talking weight loss, super popular topic, very timely as we get into the new year here. And what I want to say is this is probably geared more towards roughly the 20% of people who feel like they're doing everything right and they can't lose weight. So first and foremost, I just want to say, do not lose heart. Um, Yes, on a basic level, like let's say 60 to 80% kind of random number of people, if they eat less, move more or clean up the diet, you know, they can have success in weight loss. Um, but I wanted to get this message out to the other people who you feel like that's not working for you. And it's not just because you keep cheating and you know it, but like you're legitimately doing things because that is such an underserved group. When I was in school, we were taught, and this, this is so sad now, now knowing what I know, but as a dietitian in my undergrad and even in my internship, the overall message that we were taught is if you're working with a client and they're doing like a food log and tracking their calories and macros, and they're not losing fat or losing weight, the two things are one, they're doing it wrong and they're not tracking accurately, they're making mistakes, or two, they're lying to you. Like flat out, those were the options. They're doing it wrong or they're lying to you. And that, yes, okay, let's let's roll that out. Be honest with yourself and with your, your coach or your dietitian. But let's remember there's a whole world of things going on in the body that can cause that to be the case. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start by hitting the user error sort of things and where you might be making mistakes in your tracking. Um, but if you've got all that taken care of, we're going to dive into the other things that can block weight loss from happening. So I don't want you to feel like a failure. I know how that feels. Uh, when I hurt my back and had things going on, I put on weight and I trained like crazy. I was doing P90X, I was doing yoga, I was running, I was doing judo, and I could not drop the fat unless I was insanely strict. No sustainable program going on. And to the point, like I had people going, I can't believe you do all that and you don't look like a fitness model. And that, especially as a dietitian, was like so demoralizing to hear and so discouraging. Um, until I got to study more and I looked deeper and I learned more about these underlying processes and I realized your weight is a symptom of what's going on in your body. It's like everything else. If you find that root cause, you can start to have that success. You have to fix that. 
And so this message is for those more who are struggling with that. That's what I want you to remember. You are not a failure. You just haven't found the problem. You haven't found that foundational structure that's broken or damaged or imbalanced. So you just have to find the right tools and we can get you to your goals. So again, this is a very popular topic and one that I think is really important. So if you're a business owner and you want me to bring this in person to your center, your wellness center, your facilities, you want to set up like a virtual workshop, reach out, let me know. I'm happy to help coordinate that. We can get people invited in, do some education, build community, make sure the user error is taken care of, make sure people understand what their calorie goals and macros should be, and then also talk about what other things might be going on, how we can hit the topic that Andy and I discuss in this and get you to your goals. So thanks for tuning in. I look forward to hearing your thoughts about this episode. Please like, share, subscribe. Let me know as a content creator that this had value to you or what, you, what stood out for you. And as always, just remember, you just need the right tools. Get to that root cause and we can get you to your goals. So let's dive in. Andy and Kate, ready to break down some science and weight loss today. And calories. And calories, because that has been a common question um, in general. It's out there a lot and a common mm -hmm. kind of uh, debate, you know, calories in, calories out. How does yep. that work? So we're going to talk about where calories in, calories out should work and maybe some things that are some common mistakes if it's not working. And then when you're Correct. doing everything right, what else might be blocking the weight loss that you are trying to achieve? Because that is really, really frustrating when you feel like you're working really hard and diligently and you're making minimal to no progress. Yep. So. And why math is a lie. Bum, bum, bum. In does not e when in does, and, and when the calories in does not equal the calories out. When math is a lie. It's a lie. Yes. So, yeah, that's a common, um, I mean, that's a common starting point that I use. Now, there's just to kind of real quickly hit the disclaimer that not every dietitian or weight loss professional likes calories in, calories out. There are other methods. Sometimes I use the, like the plate method or like a hand serving size um, or just mindful eating. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those. But just for this case where I will use calories in, calories out for people who swear they're trying to do that and it's not working. So I like to use it as a data point just to kind of see, all right, where are we even at? Yep. Sometimes we're not anywhere near the ballpark of where we think we're at. Where we think we're at. And yes, the deep dive is absolutely necessary for that very reason. And I completely agree with you from a data perspective as well as from a execution perspective because unless you're measuring unless you're really capturing what you're doing now if you're trying to think about mindful eating and plate and size and hand size that's sort of a different approach right so depends on what your use case is but our use case is the sciencey use case and the data use case because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so let's talk. Let's yeah, talk numbers. Let's, let's talk, talk numbers. Math. So yeah, usually when again, like I, I am a fan of using data to get where we want to go. So if people don't want a number crunch constantly and don't want to record and measure, I'm okay with that being an end game. Um, I prefer to get people to the point where they kind of are more mindful, they understand yep. a full balanced meal, they start to understand yep. their hunger cues, but sometimes when we're using that and people are like, I'm not losing weight, or I'm only losing, you know, like a tenth of a pound here and there, but based on 
what I think is going on, I should be losing that healthy, like pound a week or so. Yep. So it's again, when you're eating tons of healthy food and you're like, what is going on, Kate? Why can't I lose any weight? It's a starting point. So it's a starting point. We can't go from where you are if we don't know where you are. Right. Like, so it's always about where are you now? Where do you want to get, get, and what are the roadblocks? So the starting point is yes, let's track those calories. Let's find out for sure what your total calories are. And then that macronutrient breakdown, but we will save the macros for another discussion because that's the whole ball game of a other topic. Today we're talking about math. Yes. So math, calories in, calories out. I am a fan of using it to start. Um, I do like to use, I tend to use my fitness pal or spark people. They're all roughly the same, but what are some of the errors you have seen, Andy? Oh, calories in, calories out. Well, Kate, where exactly would you like me to start with where that can go wrong? I'll just pick one. We'll hit through a couple topics. Um, inflammation. Do we want to start with why inflammation can affect calories in, calories out? Or do we want to Let's start... Let's get to the user error first. Let's get to the user error user first. Error okay, first. so... Common mistakes when people are trying to do it. Um, so, user error. Ballparking your sizes on portions. That's a pretty oh. big one. Uh, yeah, I had one. This So example, yes, very good example. Someone who was trying to lose weight, not happening. And I learned that, yes, he had almost zero concept of how to estimate what one cup of cereal was or what certain things were. So he would have two tablespoons of peanut butter, which meant he took the kitchen spoon Tablespoon. and scooped. Brene <laughs> Brown. Yeah, one, so was, one, was, one, I'm uh, like, uh, oh. That looks like at least a good half cup. Yeah. Which would be about eight tablespoons. So that is going to be about four servings of peanut butter, which is going to be about 800 to 1,000 calories. Right. And you thought it was two tablespoons. So, yes. Yes. I would recommend, at least at first, people actually get out measuring cups and measure. When I'd have people like, okay, pour into this cereal bowl what you think one serving of you know, your, your cereal is, yeah. Oh, that looks like about a cup and it's, hmm, it's like two, two, two and, and a half, half. cups. Yep. So, yep. I would tell people like, get that serving size, actually pour it into your bowl, start to kind of learn what that looks like or plate that yeah. on your thing. Yep. Cheese is a really hard one to estimate. One ounce really, of cheese. Oh yes. There are so, I mean, there are a lot of things that are, Cereal's a great one. Cereal's hard to eyeball, especially considering that, like, so many of our, um, uh, cult, not cutlery, that's silverware and knife, um, bowls and things have gotten so much bigger. They're so oversized and compared to what they used to be. Like, dinner plates are, are so much bigger. Um, so, you know, user error on ballparking your sizes is, Serving sizes is huge. You know, you, you think what you put in is a normal amount of cereal, and it's two and a half cups. So that's that's a huge one. So ballparking sizes is, is a big user error. Second of all, hidden calories. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'm just adding – I just add a, a splash of, of cream to my coffee. Well, here again, how big is your splash? Is your splash really a splash, or is it closer to mine, which is like a quarter cup? 
Is because it, is it cream what? in your like coffee if, or coffee in your cream? Right, exactly. Are you having cream in your coffee or coffee in your cream? So like hidden calories of the things that you add that you don't measure. So cream in your coffee, butter on things, um, all of your additives, your dressings, your anything that you're putting on or with is another like big source of hidden user error in calories in. Mm -hmm. mm. What else would you say? And that brings me to one where um, uh, manipulation's not the right word, um, but legalities of low calorie foods and food labels. So this is one I saw a lot Don't when even I was. Yeah, when I was started. working at a weight loss retreat center in North Carolina, um, we had people, they were allowed to use fake sweetener, which I personally do not recommend, however, for the point of the story. So you could have these like sucralose packets, basically, you know, yeah. aspartame, NutraSweet, whatever those, sweet and lows. Right. And they are considered calorie-free sweeteners. Right. And so this woman, she was putting like two or three packets in her coffee in the morning, putting a couple packets on her yogurt with breakfast, putting it on her grapefruit, putting it on her cottage cheese at lunch, like just adding it up throughout the day. And the thing is, with the FDA rules, if something is four calories or less, you can round it down to zero per serving. Correct. So each of those packets was actually about four calories. Four calories. And yep. so she was adding in, I it's been a while, but it was, it was over a hundred calories worth yeah. of fake sweetener a day, which has its own health issues. Of, bleh, like so bad. For you, but yeah. Calories in, calories out focus. That's, yeah. that's a hundred or huge. more calories a day that you're missing. That's an extra 700 calories a week that right. she was not accounting for. Which, oh, by the way, is a pound a month approximately. Yeah. 3,500 calories is roughly a pound. Yeah. So there are things that are considered calorie free. Um, the other, and so those, those, Again, if you are using sweet and low, aspartame, equal, any of those sweeteners, my encouragement is get off of them. They are bad for you. They're health well, issues. They, and, and they have their own like thing that they do with blood sugar and brain chemistry. And that's a whole other, we don't need neurocytoc today. Uh, neuroexcitatory, yeah. Correct. Microbiome, separate issue. Yeah. But from a calories only perspective, get off of them and be aware that even at zero calories, something can be as much as four calories per serving. Right. So the other one where I see that a lot are things like butter sprays or like quick spritz things where it's like, you know, a quarter yep. second is zero calories. But then you, I, right. when you do same, five or 10 of them, it adds up. So same, same place. I had a different woman. She was using like some sort of fake butter spray, but she would open it and like drizzle it on like melted butter. And again, there are yeah. calories there. there the label is just right. legally allowed to round it down to zero. So being aware right. that calorie-free isn't always actually calorie-free. Um, and those things add up. Yes. That was another which, area I've seen. Which, and that's a nasty little hidden corner of the FDA, which is a whole... That could be another F episode. Nasty hidden corners of the FDA. <laughs> we should be making a list. Somebody make a list. <laughs> Make a list, write it down. I, I should be making a list. We it's up here, but that's gonna get lost. Yeah, well, we well, we, that was the conversation that we had before. It's that whiteboard. That whiteboard. <laughs> so, so yeah, those are. That's another area. Knowing that calorie free doesn't always actually mean calorie free, so you need to be aware of that. Uh, ballparking serving sizes um, is not good at first. So at least for a little while, measure, and then get used to being. You, you can eventually eyeball estimate better. Um, yeah. But it would like weigh or measure things at first. 
Um, the other one is thinking it's just a little bite. I'm not going to record it. Like I just yeah. kiss off my coworker's desk or I just finished what my kid left on their plate of the macaroni yeah. was like a bite. Yeah. The, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to wait. Mom hat. Ching. This one will be uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, I have noticed, I mean, the mom nibbles are a big thing and you know, whether it's when you're prepping and you're nibbling or when you're nibbling as you go, or here again, you just finished up your kid's macaroni and cheese. Cause it was like, Oh, it's just two or three bites. Or I just finished up the whatever. Cause Oh, it's only, you know, two bites or what, like, Oh, I'm just going to fine. I'll finish what that's, huge oh my goodness the amount of nibbling that can come in from the fringe edges is like for me the note when I really noticed it was when I couldn't eat all of that crap anymore and it was like my god my kid does not finish her <laughs> anything ever because I was finishing it for her quite frequently mm-hmm yeah, and I, I had a client before who she kept, I'm, I'm eating well, I'm eating balanced, I'm doing my meals, I'm meal prepping, da 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 And then when she started to become more mindful and we talked about these things, she's like, oh my God, I'm having a quick snack here. I'm finishing my kid's bite here. I grabbed a quick drink of something here. I didn't register. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't the record the, the juice that juice. I had. I didn't record the, the cup of coffee with cream and three packets of sucralose. I didn't record that. Yeah. And it's, it's not that I want people to get like obsessive about it, but to be, at least start being mindful. Like mindful. these things do make a difference and it's something to check. So if you are tracking mm -hmm. your calories, mostly and you're not seeing the progress you think you can make, make sure you're assessing for these. Are there mindless snackings going on that you're just thinking, eh, it's not that big a deal, it won't matter, because it can add up really quickly. Yep. It really so, can. And kind of in that vein, then, uh, um, one of the other things I will see with that is where people start to go, okay, they're thinking calories in, calories out. Well, I'm going to burn this many, and I'm not losing weight, so I'm going to drop my calories in. And people under fueling. So do you want to talk about the physiology of that? Oh, I would love oh, to. Oh, my so, science minds. Oh, you cannot burn enough calories with exercise if you are not meeting your basic burn requirements on a daily basis. And it is the most counterintuitive thing ever. But my, so um, I used to work at the Y and we would do sort of these biggest loser style competitions that were big team competitions every year. And the challenge of trying to convince people that they need to eat more to lose weight, especially for individuals that are of a larger body size is so counterintuitive, especially when you have folks who have been, oh, but I've been dieting, you know, I've been eating salads, I've only been having 1,200 calories for two and three years, I've only been, and I've been restricting more, and I've been, so you get this bigger 
more widening gap of you're not beating, meeting your basic metabolic need. And if you can't meet your basic metabolic need, you can't burn more than that to then lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of that, that basic metabolic need called like basal metabolic rate or resting metabolic rate, very similar. But the idea that your body if you think of it like a working chugging machine, it needs fuel. It needs fuel for your brain to work, your heart to beat, your lungs to work, your, your digestion to process. And if you are under fueling, you're going to lose weight at first, but eventually that machine starts to chug and slow down and your metabolic rate slows to try to go, okay, you are not even meeting my survival needs. I have to start slowing down. So until you start getting not just the calories, but the nutrients that your body needs to yep. run, you just it slows down everything just comes down yeah so, so if you're supposed to be up here at we'll use the standard of 2000 calories a day not the standard for everybody but if you're supposed to be there and you're here guess what this is going to drop to wherever you're at and if you lower wherever you're at this is just going to continue to drop. So you wind up with a dysfunctional system in which your body is down-regulating its daily burn needs to meet what you're actually putting in. So if you need 2,000, but you're only putting in 1,200, your body's going to say, hey, guess what? We're not going to be in fifth gear anymore. We're going back down to third gear. Yeah. Yeah. We're, slow we're, down. Yep. So we'll segue in a minute because I think that's actually a really good segue into what are other things that can cause metabolic rate to drop, um, such as sleep and stress and that. Yeah. Um, but so just to kind of quickly review some of the user error things, if you are doing calories in, calories out, just make sure you are one, measuring so that you can better estimate, two, making sure that you realize anything that's calorie free while you more than likely probably don't want to eat it anyway, um, that it isn't not... It's not necessarily actually calorie free, so be mindful of that. Be mindful of snacks and little blips and blops of cream or finishing your mac and cheese for your kid or grabbing a quick little bite here or having a taste of your mom's casserole there, like whatever it is, just little yeah. bits and bites. And then yes, if you've been under fueling, that could be a problem. Yeah. So what are some other things that can cause your metabolic rate to drop? Inflammation infection thyroid hormone thyroid hormone got adrenal glands uh, i would know nothing about that um <laughs> so this might be a good time to tell us your weight loss journey and the struggles you faced with sure. calories and calories out and what was going on with you sure so um obviously uh long time lurker first time caller uh so <laughs> I, so my, my story, um, along the way of blowing out my knee and, uh, needing to get a hip fixed, I, over the course of 20 surgeries and a pregnancy, um, no, the pregnancy doesn't really count because I lost weight during the pregnancy, but I managed to gain about a hundred pounds. Um, and it was constantly was, you know, it was steroids. It was, uh, IV antibiotics every time I needed to have another surgery. So I had like 20 surgeries in the course of like six years. Um, 
So there was quite a bit of uh, inflammation. Um, there was some gut dysbiosis and in total I gained about a hundred pounds. And uh, obviously I know a thing or two, maybe, at least I like, we have think fairly extensive training and experience. <laughs> Fairly extensive. So one would think that since we're talking about basic math and calories in, calories out, that this would be a simple equation to solve. Um, however, it would turn out that math is not that straightforward when it taught when we're talking about you know bodily systems in which there are like multiple variables in which you're not controlling for, such as inflammation and infection, um, and I was chipping at it, chipping at it, chipping at it, and got to a point where it was not happening for me anymore. Calories in and calories out was not working as an equation. I had gotten stuck. I had done, I mean, everything kind of within my wheelhouse of exercise physiology and biomechanics and sports medicine and, um, you know, what I could do for myself to be able to say, okay, I, 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 I have turned over all of the stones and there's stones that I can't turn over by myself. I need someone else to help me turn these stones over and really look into these variables of inflammation, infection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, that's when I got introduced to Kate. Um, sort of serendipitously, I was, uh, through, um, through Julie and Tim and hearing about his OCRs and, uh, gut health and, you know, sort of this, like, offhand comment. I was like, wait, Tim, <laughs> hold the phone. I don't give a shit about your OCR. Go back to Kate. <laughs> Tell me more about this. Wait a minute. Gut health and IBS and competitive athletes and, and wait a minute. Like, it sounds like I might have the opportunity to, like, reclaim my rugby self here and uh because i mean I, I i had tried and tried and tried and uh got to the point where obviously like the the equation was not working and i had to figure out like okay what are the other things and kate we figured out some of the other things so let's dive let's into talk about how things. those things affect yes i yeah so you, when i started well, working with kate um i had so gone here. from Starting weight, yeah. Starting weight of 235, pre-baby. Pre um, and I started working with Kate. I was at about 185, and that was pre-COVID. And now I'm at 135. So I've lost uh, a full 100 pounds. That's awesome. And the last 50 of it has been during, well, the last six months, really. Yeah. I would say, I think, I think when I look back at our your chart, we started in May. Like we've been yeah, kind of say, talking start, earlier, yeah. but with, yeah, with all the shutdowns really, in March, it was kind of like yeah, we didn't um, really get the data and get going till about May. I think it was May. Yeah, so yeah. We started in May, and so, yeah, fifty pounds, and the weight came off, um, and like that, guys. I didn't have to work. Like I mean, truly, like it. It was it was absolutely amazing to me how quickly how quick like I, how quickly it came off how easily it came off and how working with my body versus working against my body made a huge difference yeah and just kind of a quick point out to that is 
there's again kind of the 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 starting point is that people shouldn't lose more than like one to two pounds a week or roughly like 10 percent uh, i'm sorry one percent of their body weight but there are always exceptions to rule so in your case um, because there was so much water weight, water weight. on as well and all this inflammation yeah. um, and that's where like a lot of people will see in the first week of a new diet just cleaning it up there's a, a bit of an inflammation drop so yeah. i do have people drop like five to fifteen pounds in the first week or two and that's not an unhealthy thing in yeah, these cases. In these cases, <laughs> it's that a water, little... yeah, it's a water and inflammation thing versus like a true weight. Yeah, thing. but as weight comes off, whether it's fat or inflammation and water weight, we still see the improvements in the quality of life as that comes off if it yep. is healthy. Like we, we watched your muscle and it was maintained. It was still good. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, you notice like energy, joint pain, you know, all these other yeah. things because of getting that, that off. Yeah. And my symptom survey score, which is like a total global assessment of all of your different bodily systems and like how frequently are you having symptoms and how severe are they went from like a, what, 171, I think the first time I took it to about a 30 within a month. So, I mean, it went, I mean, it dropped dramatically. I do my quick screen share of your, your chart, if you're cool with that here. Sure. All right. I think you should be able to see that. Yeah. So we, uh, oh wait, that was May 26th. So. I probably even need to update this because I don't think I even have. Yeah. That much so, reason. so from, from May 26th, we're at 169 to July. So 150 in just that like eight weeks yeah. or so um and then the symptom score yeah you were at a symptom score of 170 <laughs> dropped you down to 38 yeah and that's over the course of like a month if you look at that that's really end of may to beginning of july so really that's like the month of june mm -hmm. plus a week yeah. on either side so maybe so yeah, six, like weeks. six weeks six weeks yeah, yeah that weight drop and six weeks that symptom score and and that's like what i tell people like we can get that symptom score cut in half and that's that's quality of life to me you know yep. when those numbers because those are the things it's like you know bloating or fatigue or rashes or headaches or, you know, all this headaches. stuff that makes life sucky <laughs> yeah it's all the crap that you're like oh you don't think about but when it's not there you're like i'm feeling kind of good yeah so that that weight loss is good like I, I tell people your weight people will focus on that as like the primary focus and it's i get that absolutely i've been there and i am there still at times but i try to tell people like your weight is a symptom of what's going on internally yeah. whether that's because internally. you're underfueling or overfueling or because of one of these other factors so as the weight comes off it's because we're working on healing that internal balance internal the microbiome system. the education the stress the sleep the hormones yeah. and that's what all brings up that quality of life energy improves mood improves all of that yep. so that's something that i was excited to see with you yeah. uh, but i'm segueing off yeah my point being like while that's the exception to the rule of one to two pounds a week, we still did it in a healthy way. You were still eating, not, yep. we're not starving you. We're nope. focusing on everything else. We're still getting good calories, still maintaining your yep. protein stores. But that shows where these other things can block. Yes. So yeah, and in 
we can hit inflammation, gut health, microbiome, and hormones are kind of sure. key Let's things here. So yeah, inflammation, basically it's at the root of all health issues. So literally, it's some sort of literally. stress. <laughs> so it's some kind of stress, whether it's the immune system is overactive and releasing all these cytokines and histamines and inflammatory agents, or you are literally stressed and your cortisol is spiking, which is spiking blood sugar, which messes with your insulin resistance, which messes with weight loss abilities, um, or your sleep is bad. And that can cause the same kind of tearing to the gut. Um, I think we've mentioned it before, like one night of poor sleep doubles the inflammation according to a UCLA research study. Yep. Um, so all of this inflammation causes water retention yes. and then manifests in the body in different ways to different people. So brain fog or headaches or joint pain or on and on and on and on that whole symptoms yep. score. So reducing and inflammation is, is, such a, it, it's, it's, it's this huge bucket, broad term, but it really goes along with, first of all, literally the root cause of pretty much every health problem. And also literally this giant amorphous thing that is the root of all of your problems right? And, and how do we tackle inflammation? And guess what, guys? It's not with anti-inflammatories. Anti-inflammatories are not the way to tackle inflammation. PSA. <laughs> um, no, I was excited and a little bit frustrated, but I was excited that on uh, Good Morning America the other day, I was watching and they actually had a woman come on, uh, one of their correspondents, and talk about, oh, new study and that's why i was annoyed like new study like it's out there and i'm trying to also share it like it's not new but no. it's newly being heard about and being talked about um new study shows anti-inflammatory diet helps reduce risk of stroke and cancer and i'm like yes thank you dean ornish showed that like ages ago Age, ages ago forever <laughs> ago forever ago and yeah. then it's like an anti-inflammatory diet is very, very different than taking anti-inflammatories, like, like drugs, like drugs, medication. like Advil, Motrin, Aleve, an NSAID, a COX-2 inhibitor, the only which have available is Celebrex, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and those are like, yes. so those when do I... not fight the type of inflammation that we're talking about. Yeah, and those just are typically masking the symptoms, but not addressing exactly. the root cause. So I describe it like your body, if you think of it like there's a bucket in your body, and that is your immune system slash inflammation, because they're, they're tied very tightly. And it can yep. hold so much stress and inflammatory inducing behaviors and foods and whatnot. And at some point, that bucket spills. Yep. And it leaks out, and that is where it comes in. So I see two things with a lot of clients when it comes to when does, when do symptoms manifest from inf uh, inflammation? And it's like some of them, a lot of times when I'm like, okay, when was the last time you felt good? Like, when did you start to go downhill? What happened when, within the six to 12 months before? And there was often bum, bum, triggering bum. stress. A triggering like, event? I lost a job. I lost a parent. I lost a loved one. I had a miscarriage. And so that- I had a, some other type of major health issue- Trauma. Yeah, massive IV antibiotics, something kind of 
triggers and breaks the dam and eventually yeah. this inflammation starts to leak. So we come back to that root cause, the stress, the hormone imbalance from a miscarriage, the GI microbiome wipeout from, anti, uh, from antibiotics. So that's kind of the key. And that is one of those huge things behind weight gain yeah. as well, since we're getting into all the medical stuff and it's exciting because it can help you, but from a weight perspective, since that's what yeah. we were originally trying to talk about, <laughs> but I get excited. Um, yeah, that inflammation yeah. causes water retention, blocks the body's ability to churn. Again, if you think of it like a machine, it does yeah. not want to crank as well when there's all this inflammation and swelling right. and like fires, so to speak, going on in the body. It's trying yeah. to put out fires and it doesn't have time to deal with burning fat, kind of sort of way to explain it. Exactly. Basically, so. your, man your body's managing all of these other distractors that it needs to manage that have been set off by this inflammatory process, and you can't get there. So we can talk about how cortisol is one of those things that also causes weight gain. Yeah. That? So cortisol. <laughs> what is cortisol? Uh, cortisol is a hormone released when our body experiences stress <laughs> and that does not matter what kind of stress good stress or bad stress our body exudes cortisol but the problem is that when we are in the state that most of us live in in which we are being slowly chased by a invisible tiger <gasps> Instead of releasing cortisol in appropriate bursts, we're just constantly producing and secreting cortisol. And as a result, we're constantly producing this pro-inflammatory stress marker that says, eat and sleep at inappropriate times and sleep too much or don't sleep enough or it's... Well don't sleep well, nah, broken sleep, eat some more. Yeah, cortisol is a very, very disruptive hormone. Yeah, we need a little bit, like a little bit of stress is good. It helps get us up, get us moving. There is good stress. Right. Um, but when it's, yeah, when it's chronic, cortisol also elevates blood sugar levels. Yeah, and when that yeah. is, when those are elevated chronically, first of all, yeah, you, you don't sleep as well. You crave sugar more. Um, and then like it actually can shift hormones. And so in men, it drops testosterone while boosting estrogen and it does the flip for women. It starts boosting testosterone, dropping estrogen, which our bodies chemically aren't. Really yeah. Cool. Guys <laughs> want testosterone and no estrogen. Women want estrogen and no testosterone and yeah, cortisol right like flips that on its head. So like now guys producing estrogen makes it harder to lose weight, makes it harder to lose weight and women producing testosterone messes with our cycles <laughs> big time, which also then makes it harder for us to lose weight because it screws with all of our other hormones, which episode 942. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just kind of on that surface, chronic stress, elevates cortisol, which elevates blood sugar, which leads to all kinds of problems. Yeah, erectile dysfunction and weight issues and like skin issues and energy and brain fog and just long-term is no good for the body. Yeah. Very damaging. 
So manage that stress. And I think a key point to deal with there breathing. too is, huh? Breathing. Breathing. Yes. Which did we talk, we talked about that in the depression. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but something that I think is important to point out and is that exercise boosts cortisol. Again, that's a good boost, but if you're already dealing with high cortisol levels, some you don't, yeah, you, need to, so you need to have, don't consider high intensity exercise a stress release reliever from a chemical standpoint. Yes, I get it. Bingo. Mentally, it can help. Like, I will kickbox the crap out of stuff when I'm stressed and anxious and having anger. Yep. And that helps with that. So I can calm down, but understand that exercise is right. still elevating it's that. It's still, yep, exactly. So, so if you're, else. if you're, if your bucket is already here from a cortisol perspective and you're trying to do hit training or you're trying to outrun your tiger, which I'm throwing shade in particular for it. We've all tried to outrun the tiger, <laughs> literally and figuratively outrunning the tiger, but knowing that you're trying to overtrain and outtrain your tiger, your tiger's always going to try to catch up with you. So know that you're not helping necessarily the entire cortisol level if you are trying to outtrain your cortisol inflammation. Yeah. So use intense exercise if you need to kind of calm the mental stress in the body, but understand that that chemical stress needs something more like walking yoga, meditation, reading, journaling, breathing. Yeah, something like that to actually deal with the chemical side of stress. So. And then sleep. Sleep. I love sleep. That was actually one of the big ones I noticed when I was struggling to lose weight is I was not sleeping properly. And Correct. so that we can talk about leptin and ghrelin hormones and then kind of willpower and cravings with sleep. Yes. So, so sleep, get on a schedule, set yourself some alarms, set yourself some timers, come up with a routine. Um, because regaining a normal bedtime routine for most folks does not happen naturally. It can be assisted with dietary changes. It can be assisted with exercise changes, but focusing on sleep and getting into a good sleep hygiene routine. Um, sleep hygiene is huge. It's so important. And it's something that um, in our modern day of technology, most of us have gotten really pretty bad about. We look at blue screens until it's too late. We, you know, are on our phones, you know, lying in bed, scrolling, we're on the computer, we're on the laptop. Yeah, we've got a TV in, whatever it is. We don't have a TV in our bedroom. Like, we never have. Um... There has been occasional the occasion of laptoping in bed, but that's usually like my husband writing code. Um, but that's him in the middle of the night when he can't sleep, and not me. But um, yeah, it, there sleep hygiene and a good bedtime and not eating too late and yeah, there's so when, many things that go into it. 
when the sleep quality, quantity and quality matter. And when it's not there, first of all, like kind of the, the more obvious thing is we all know we feel a little crappy the next day. We're tired, we're right. grumpy, we're moody. Willpower sucks. So it's harder to stick to a healthy eating program. So that's yep. kind of the very obvious reason why sleep helps in that sense. But yep. the other one is when you're not sleeping, there are two hormones specifically. First of all, cortisol and inflammation. We kind of touched on those. Yep. Bing. Trigger. But also leptin and ghrelin. Yeah. These are two hormones responsible for appetite. So there is ghrelin, which I call the little gremlin. And he's the yes, one that goes, I want gremlin. sugar, I want sugar, I want food, I'm hungry. And it boosts when you don't get good sleep. So now right. you've got hormones telling you to eat more than you actually two need Two hormones, because now you have your cortisol, well, three hormones, cortisol, which has driven your insulin, and now you have your ghrelin gremlin. Yeah, so now you have your two gremlin. underlying and you have the gremlin going, feed me. Feed me junk. And your willpower feed sucks. Me. Feed you're tired. me. Feed me. And I'm cranky and I'm hungry and I'm tired and I didn't sleep and well. I want comfort food and I want chocolate or I want wine or I want, you know, whatever it is. And then you have leptin and that's the one that usually says, slow down, you're mm -hmm. full, you're hungry, you're good. And that one drops. Yep. So these work Leptin, together leptin. to fight you on your weight loss. <laughs> Gremlin, ghrelin, leptin, leftovers. That's how we always did it. Gremlin, ghrelin, and oh. leptin, leftovers. Yeah, your little gremlin, your little ghrelin, gremlin. I want gremlin, gremlin, leptin, leftovers. Yeah, so normally in a normal situation, that, that ghrelin would be kept in control and just kind of help you eat when you need to. And the leptin goes, we're good, chill, hang out. Satiety. Not hungry, Tidy, comfort, lack of cravings, but yep. when the when you don't sleep, those flip flop, and we get more of the cravings, we get more of the hungry, we get more of all of that. Again, in addition to the cortisol and the inflammation and all the insulin, and the the hormone that helps us go, I got this, I'm in control. Takes a vacation. Yep, so get that sleep. <laughs> yes, and also all by the way, all of this is affected by water, so mm -hmm. hydration is like so important to all of this because there's no way you're going to flush all of these hormones out of your body without enough water. Oh, we could talk um, about pooping too, because if you're not ooh, pooping out the byproducts, your body stop making, stops ooh. making the right hormones. Ooh, the gutsy gal's going to talk about poop at some point. We haven't yet. Poop. We haven't <laughs> talked about poop this episode. It's another coming. Time. We'll talk about poop another time. That's a time uh, too. Bowel movements are uncomfortable topic for many but incredibly important so keep an eye on that food. one <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah water and the body being able to flush waste and byproducts and used up hormones and things like that essentially yeah. so sleep um but yeah and so then i think the last thing i wanted to hit was sort of the gut health and specifically bacteria balance and how it affects things. Yes. So that was part of your issue, we believe. Yes, that was part of my issue. So um, once we did sort of the food sensitivity component and I got that managed and uh, a lot of inflammation, got a lot of the inflammation reduced, sort of the next level for me was, okay, now let's look at my gut microbiome, which, hey, guess what? When you have 20 surgeries over the course of six years, and they give you IV antibiotics for all of those. And you have a pick line for a month of antibiotics. Guess what? Your bacteria, your gut is uh, basically sterile. 
and therefore welcome battleground for the good and the bad to come in. And usually, if we're not careful, the bad has a yeah. better shot at that. Yeah, and in my case, we had a, a, a uh, clear clear uh, situation in which the bad bacteria was more present than the good bacteria by far. Um, so here again, part of all of this, I went through a uh, biofilm stripping protocol to get rid of all of the nasty H. pylori and E. coli overgrowth that were in my guts amongst oh, a whole bunch of stuff for us to tackle. <laughs> there were a whole, there were a bunch of things in there that I was like, oh, well, that shouldn't be in there. No one should ever have Klebsiella bacteria in their GI tract, but look, I do. Well, that's fun. Um, so really being able to, when you have a microbiome dysbiosis, you cannot effectively absorb nutrients. You cannot effectively absorb calories. And Kate, would you like to deliver the punchline? You cannot effectively manage your weight sometimes. <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah, and that's where we were because in my case, um, I was actually more than likely the bacteria in my guts were preventing me from, from losing a lot of the weight that I was able to, to lose because I wasn't able to absorb nutrients. I wasn't able to absorb calories. I wasn't able to, and in some cases you can wind up with the bacteria in your gut flipping the, um, math equations up on their heads so that in does not equal out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of, um, what I've seen several times with things like SIBO is we do see weight struggles one way or the other. So some people cannot put on weight and I've dealt with that. Um, it just, because it, so kind of to go back to that, um, that when we under fuel, you lose weight at first and then it stalls. There is still a point at which you do lose weight because you're starving yourself. And that yeah. would be like, unfortunately, like prisoners of war, sometimes we see that, like, obviously that weight loss still does happen. It's not good yeah. weight loss. It's usually protein. So I have yeah. had that where people just, no matter what they eat, they can't absorb enough nutrients to even hit that baseline. So yes, it is possible to atrophy and waste away and have weight loss issues. But a lot of times it goes to the other side where you're able to absorb enough that your body functions. Functions. But again, it's blocking the ability to absorb all the calories that it needs to fully fuel, or it's blocking the vitamins it needs to provide yeah. all of that nourishment because bacteria, the good bacteria are important. They help us to absorb nutrients, to break down calories, to produce biotin, produce vitamin K and things like that. So we need the good bacteria to help with the right nutrients. So when we have too much of the bad bacteria, it can block proper absorption. Or there are actually some bacterias that, uh, bacteria that can essentially produce food for your guts to absorb. Essentially, it is its own calorie producing source in your guts. Yes. Or... It's waste product. <laughs> so basically, the bacterial waste product acts as its own source of calories that your body then absorbs. Yeah, so you having this overgrowth of bacteria of this, these certain types causes your body to actually absorb too many calories. Yeah. So even if you're, you're calories in, calories out, you're down here, you think you're only eating this much because the average person only absorbs that many calories out of that set of foods, your body's actually super efficient thanks to these guys and you're 
absorbing more calories and not passing the rest out as waste. Correct. Sort of. I hope that makes sense. Sort of. Yeah. For, for yeah. lack of a better analogy, it's almost like, all right, here's, it's like a sourdough starter. <laughs> you add your food to it and it produces more and it just grows. And then you now have this large sourdough that your body can continually feed off of and you're continually feeding that sourdough starter that your body can then continually feed off of. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, some, some bacteria kind of sum that up. Yeah. Some bacteria will block your ability to absorb calories and nutrients appropriately. Some will actually cause you to absorb too many calories um, and, and kind of perpetuate that. Um, and then others, when they start to overgrow, some of the things that bad bacteria love to eat are sugars and processed sugars. foods. So these yes. little guys are kind of like little brainwashers in your body causing you literally yep. to crave it more. Yeah. Amazing to it's, me. Like the more I read about how bacteria oh God. affects our mood, our mindset, our thoughts, our it's, cravings, the more I'm like, oh my God, we have no control. <laughs> yeah, it, truly. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Like the gut, it, it, as you said, I think last episode, the gut, we always called it like the second brain. And now in, I think Japan, they're calling it yeah, like it the, first, the brain. first brain. And I saw a couple articles come out of, from Japan this week. I was super, super interested, but um. <laughs> You know, it, it there it really is. I mean, truly, what we think of in terms of like our our brain and our our free desires will. and our free will is real. Oh my God, so much, so 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 much of it is actually driven by the microbot by the bacteria in your guts. And yeah, the bacteria in our gut and and your hormone and how, levels and how again. it affects the hormones. Yeah. It's, it's like it's astonishing. It's, it's super, super interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, guys, like we're both nerding out over this. Um, I, we, both of us are like, ah, like oh my God, free will. Is it true or not? Or are we controlled yeah. by little zombie bugs? In our our out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but really, I mean, it, the, but those bacteria, they do, they, they screw with your hormones, but they, they become, if you, if you feed them the bad stuff, they want more of the bad stuff. Yeah. So we have to do a shift to get to, to fend off the bad bacteria, make sure we flourish with the good um, and <laughs> kind of describe it. Like if you're at the point where you've had a lot of processed food, a lot of junk, da da da, and you're switching your diet, something healthy. So again, like I mentioned with Andy, when she has a sterile thing, that is land up for grabs and there is a civil war. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the it were, guys, it was huge. I mean, we're talking like... <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're talking like North versus South, like that Civil big War, epic monologue fight. book, like oh, with the 150 pages of civil, yeah, like. There's gaseous byproduct. It happens. A lot of people are like, oh my God, I am like farting all the time. I have so much gas. I'm so sorry. That's going to happen as that shift for land shift takes happens. place, just to kind of yeah. give you that heads up. And then it happens the other way. If you suddenly like good bacteria have taken over, da, 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 land is happy, gunfire has And then subsided. you start eating dairy again because you have to go on a liquid diet for a week. Or junk food or processed food, it can switch the other way. Like now you're fueling the little reserves of the bad bacteria that have been in hibernation and that GI distress can come up again. So, and one of the ways that, that I think is important to note, um, and this is common with SIBO, 
Mm-hmm. People will go, you, you've got all these symptoms from this bad bacteria, bloating, gas, heartburn, indigestion, just very generic kind of IBS terms that can be related to this bacteria. And so what I see a lot of people do, and this is kind of that half measure that annoys me, they get put on a low FODMAPS diet. Yeah. And this is the experience I had when I, I went in and with mine. someone and, and I kept mine. my mouth shut that I was a dietitian just to kind of see how it went. And you've got SIBO. Okay here's a food list for you. Good luck, essentially. Yep. That was it. And I mean, they turn and they're like, I'm so glad you're here with me because I'm overwhelmed. And so people get this food list, they're put on it. And that the idea that food maps, the uh, FODMAPs, the low FODMAPs is it is removing the foods that most commonly feed the, these bacteria. Correct. The small intestine, if they're where they shouldn't be. And so the, the original thought of this was, okay, it will starve them off and we'll be good to go. But what we're now learning, and unfortunately not everybody is staying on the front edge of this research, is that that doesn't kill the bacteria a lot of times. Unless it's just really minimal, you might be able to. Unless it's really, most people. Most people, they kind of make a protective little force field called a biofilm layer and they hibernate. They go, you're not feeding us what we need. We're going to go to, to bed. It's we're winter. Just, we're going to hang out. We're going to, guys, we'll just be back here. So as I'm soon as wait. someone tries to come off a low FODMAPS diet and start to bring back and come, come away here from they come. <laughs> you are now fueling that bad bacteria or just that, that yep. bacterial problem. So to anyone listening, if you have been put on a low FODMAPs diet and you have been stuck on that diet for more than a few weeks, talk to us. You cannot talk get to off. Kate. That root cause problem is still there. We need to disrupt that biofilm, break that force field, and get in and actually eradicate that bacteria. Correct. Unfortunately, with SIBO, it is very difficult and it usually yes. takes several rounds. But just know that any restricted diet, like if you're on an autoimmune diet, if you're on any diet that does not let you come back to regular whole foods, I'm not talking junk food, but whole foods that don't let you eat asparagus or Brussels sprouts or, you know, apples, there's still some root cause issue that's not being addressed. You should not just have to be on this tight little box of foods forever. Absolutely. And, you know, having, having been a part of the low FODMAP club since 2013, was it? Mm-hmm. When I had my gallbladder removed, they were like, oh, well, just, you know, oh, you must have just, just go on this low FODMAP diet. It'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, no. And it, it's, it's, it, surprised me because this isn't super new. It's not like, oh, it came out this year. It's been around. And I talked to a a gastroenterologist who's very good from a conventional standpoint. And he's like, and I was really excited. Like he mentioned FODMAPs. He's like, yeah, it's great. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. That's even more than many GI docs say. I'm like, cool. So what do you do? (laughs) At the time, my GI doc was like, I was like, oh my God, you even know what a low FODMAP diet is? I like you a whole lot. Yes. But but, but it stopped there because he's like, it's great. I love it. I put all my IBS patients on it. I'm like, okay, cool. Then what? He's like, and then what? We need then what? Exactly. And that and that was the thing. There is there there is no and then what? This is your life now. And it shouldn't be that way because that means there's still a problem. Correct. And that was that's the biggest 
that is the kicker. That is the take home message. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. So if your bacterial balance is affecting that struggle for weight maintenance or to getting that goal weight, kind of, kind of go through all of this. I feel like if we kind of resum from the beginning, first of all, make sure your calories in calories out is actually tracked accurately. Do all of that. Correct. Then make sure you're dealing with lifestyle, sleep, stress, hydration. They, they matter. They, they do. Biologically matter. And if Big that's time. still not working, let's deal with your inflammation. Let's deal with your specific food sensitivities, your specific GI microbiome, your specific um, yep. damage and rebalance it and yep. keep asking until you can get onto a general whole foods diet with yep. just a few, maybe little personalized restrictions here and there, yep. but you should be allowed to eat food. a fairly open whole foods diet. <laughs> open whole food robust diet. Like there is no reason that you should have to stay away from, unless you have, you know, like Kate said, small personal tweaky restrictions for you. Yeah, like here and there, like I personally just, one of those weird foods that kind of hangs out for me are grapes. Yep, it just kind of hangs out. Grapes is a weird <laughs> grapes, one Grapes, raisins, me. and red wine. I still have them, but I can tell like if I have too many, my needs yeah. will hurt a little the next day. So that's kind of just like my own little personal one that, again, I can still enjoy it in moderation. I don't not drink wine. In fact, you can probably see my little wine <laughs> back yeah. here. Yes. But, you know, it does have to be balanced for me. Yeah. And, like, I've figured out that I can do a little bit of dairy for, I mean, but it's, it's a little bit of dairy. It's not Andy loves dairy and, you know, wanted to have a dairy farm because that's how much dairy <laughs> she would like to have in life. But, like, I have, it, you know, just in the past week, just dietarily wise, had to, you know, discovered that, yes, I can, I can do a little bit of dairy in things. And it's not going to totally destroy me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just a couple little tweaks. But if those things are tackled, and that's, that's kind of what my program does. It, it makes sure we're tackling all of that. And then yep. from there, most of, many times, many times, that will address any other sort of um, tangential diagnosis or set of symptoms. So if people are like, my thyroid's not working, or, you know, these hormones are off. This yep. is still the foundation for that. You yep. have to manage this beginning part yep. to then, and sometimes it fixes those and it kind of rebalances and corrects them on its own. And other times you do have to get a little deeper and make sure, okay, yep. you know, like we talked about, how's your iodine level? Like we do have to get into some specifics, but that is like the springboard yep. for health and wellness. We have to reduce that inflammation. We have to get a healthy gut microbiome. We have to deal with H. pylori or I'll admit parasites. I've had people with parasites. We have to deal with that. We yep. don't like, people don't like to talk about it in America, but it's there. And all these things affect your weight. Yep. They because they're affecting affect other weight. things. And again, that weight is a symptom of something else. Yes. Not and, and, there, and that, uh, Kate, you literally took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say, your weight is a symptom of what is going on in your body. And when the math of in should equal out, isn't working that is indicative that your weight is a symptom of something else problematic if we've gotten if we've taken user error out of the mix if we've done you know if we've started measuring if we've gotten good on portion sizes if we've taken out all of the other environmental uh elements that we can control with water and sleep and stress and whatever 
it resolves a lot of the cracks in that foundation, but it also can help bring to light and shine a spotlight on, yeah, you've got something going on with, with gut health. You've got something going on with hormones. So it really, it, your weight is a symptom. Your weight is a symptom of what is going on in your body. And I think that that is something that we frequently don't think of when we think about metrics and we think about, you know, all, you know, height, weight, yada, 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 yada. Weight is really important. And, you know, we measure weight for, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but in congestive heart failure patients, we measure weight. And in kidney patients, we measure weight regularly for water retention purposes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you think about that in and of itself, there are two conditions that we medically manage by by tracking weight to track water retention and therefore inflammation processes in the body. Okay, if though if, if that is a if that is a baseline comparison, why would that not hold true for your weight as a person? regardless of if you have a kidney issue or or congestive heart failure. We need to start changing the paradigm of weight is a symptom. Weight Mm -hmm. is not just a number. And I would wrap it up with that, except I thought of one caveat I do want to mention because this is how I want to say Okay. So so we wrap that up. Pretend this is way at the beginning when we start talking about user error. So another factor that comes into place is that body composition. um, Yes. Oh, that's huge too. Because there are a lot of people who, if they're, they are maintaining their weight, even though they're doing everything right. But unless you have a body composition scale to show you how much of that is fat versus muscle, fat, people muscle start working versus, out, they might be yeah. losing fat at the same and gain, that they're putting muscle, muscle on. So also be aware of that. If you feel like yeah. you're doing everything right, but you're not losing weight, and, try to find a way to either get on a body composition scale or do like tests or something. Are you stronger? Are, yeah, are you stronger? Are your clothes fitting better? So that's a, that's another good that's one. That's a caveat that should have been at the beginning. As, but, as yeah. a caveat. Um, <laughs> that, that happens a lot too. Yeah. Are your clothes fitting differently? And take, I mean, like another, another thing that we used to do was we would take everybody's measurements because that's get the thing. You might pictures, be, get your measurements. You might I not make, be losing. I make my clients do it. You might, I, I know I make everybody else do it too. Um, you might not be losing pounds, but you might be losing inches. And that's what losing we, fat. I mean, that's, that's, which is fat and water. And water. Yeah. Cause when people are like, so, I want to lose weight. Okay. We all know that means they want to lose fat weight or water weight. You know, that's nobody yeah. wants to like lose an arm or lose muscle. I hate when people are like, you don't want to lose weight. You want to lose fat. Like no shit. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Yes. So yes, but that composition is important because we do yep. want to see that. So if, again, if you feel like you're doing everything right, you're tracking your calories, you're measuring, um, you're, uh, being mindful of nibbles and snacks and pieces and all of that, and it's not happening and you're managing stress, yada, 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 yada. Also consider is body composition changing? So again, since weight is that external symptom, again, think about the other things. Are you feeling better? Do you have more energy? Do your joints hurt less? That means something's still working, yeah. even if that scale number. So don't let that scale number define yeah. you. Don't, don't let the number define you. You are, you are more than a number. Yeah. So there's that pre-caveat but here it is at the end. So I hope that wraps things up. Um, again, obviously any topic we talk about can be 
delved into down into even more. We could have done an entire hour on just sleep and weight, probably. So many. <laughs> we could spend so many hours on any so one many. of these topics. So, so please. We can't hit everything, but we try to hit kind of the important points. So yeah, be mindful. Make sure you're doing things right. If not, or if you need help making sure you're doing it right, you need help making sure you understand how to sleep, uh, how to deal, you need some stress, you need accountability, or you need some ideas, let me know. We can see if this program is right for you. January is coming up, so a great dun, time dun, to kind of dive back in. Stay mindful, stay accountable, because I know, Andy, like that's what we're doing in our eight-week challenge. It's not about yes, it power weight loss. It's about balance and enjoying and eating and without guilt but balancing with health yep. and that's a good way to go through the holiday. So hit me up it if is. you want to talk, if you want to look into any of those signups and uh, let us know what other topics you are interested in hearing about. Please, please. And we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I hope that sort of gave you some ideas from what we do more of in a functional perspective um, regarding weight versus kind of the conventional standard calories in, calories out. So just shedding light on how complex it can be, how multi-layered it can be, but still there's tools. We just need to find the right puzzle pieces to solve your problem or solve, get you to your goal. So reach out anytime. Let me know if you have questions. Let me know if you want to discuss doing some of the lab work or just doing a single one-off session to make sure you're even at the right calorie goal range. Um, also happy, like I said at the beginning, if you want to have this brought to your workplace, let me know. We can try to set something up, whether that's in person or virtual. And I would love to see you getting your 2022 goals headed in the right direction and feeling your best. Take care, guys. Thanks again.